Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's show. Tali and I go deep on a subject, and it was inspired by a video that she found. She's really good about finding interesting resources, even if they're not in education, and then applying them. So you're going to hear us refer to a video a lot. I, I encourage everybody to check that video out. And also, just realize we don't have any sponsors for this. We're supporting ourselves. So if you like what you hear, we want to hear what you would like us to talk about, people you'd like us to interview, subjects you'd like us to cover. And if you like what we're doing, then please support us and check out our website, freemarketkids.com. Right now we have a 21% off special for a pre-sale of our 2024 Huddle Up Collector's Edition. It is a 2024 Having Collector's Edition that we're working on. It's going to be pretty wild. If you're doing homeschooling and you want to check out the traditional game, that's $55 for the Huddle Up game. That's a way you can support us and help this show keep going. So with that, enjoy the show. This is our second installment of Bitcoin Homeschoolers, and today we're going to experiment. There's a really cool resource we're going to get to in just a second. Tali found this one, and we think a lot of lessons learned. Just to kind of set the context again, this is for anybody who's either thinking about homeschooling, thinking about having a family, or even if you already have small kids, and maybe you just want to teach some extra things to uh, while they're at home. There's just a lot to share with regard to taking self-custody of education. And today we're going to apply some first principles of freedom to learning. So I'm pretty excited to dig into this. The idea of this too, let me also say for context, that homeschooling to me is way more than just picking the right curriculum. Like, did I go to classical conversations? Did I go to whatever it is, some other thing? It goes beyond that. You are free to experiment when you self-custody education. You are free to experiment with things that you want to try, that you think fit. You do not have to conform to someone else's ideas. And if you try them and you find them, they work, that's great. You share them with others, but maybe they don't work. And you just go on and you try the next thing. Contrast to that to public schools where, heaven forbid, a boy won't sit still for 45 minutes or an hour in a chair and we give them drugs and we, we label them with some kind of thing. And by the way, the demand for those drugs go to manufacturers and guess who they give their donations to? The, the same political elite who influences the laws about education. So in a bigger context, where I'm going with this is the school is an extension of government control. They want to control what you hear on everything on social media and things, but going beyond that, getting into what kids actually are exposed to and how they think is a huge way of controlling a populace. And it goes to essentially separating parents and, and kids. You divide the family unit and you can push whatever agenda you want, climate, gender, a CDBC, maybe we should have fearful COVID lockdowns again, and you need to get a jab. The roots of this really go back to Communist Manifesto, where dividing the family unit is essential to state control. All that's kind of dark. We're going to actually have fun today. So, Tali, can you take the baton from me here? Explain the resource that inspired today's talk, and then we can get into it. I came across this video, and I thought it was really interesting as a contrast to the way most people think of schools, especially when we talk to people who are new to homeschooling and they're wondering about 
the number one concern I think everybody's wondering about is always socialization. So I came across this video and it is such an opposite to the experience that my kids had when they were very, very young and we were experimenting with putting them into the traditional school setting. And in our case, they didn't go to public school, but they went to a private preschool. And I'll just describe our experience really quickly and then tie into the video that we're going to share with you and talk about. Our oldest was three and I decided to put her in preschool because by then I had decided to homeschool, but of course everybody was telling me that she would get no social skills. So I put her in this really popular preschool in the area that we lived in that had a long wait list. I mean, you had to sign up almost a year before kids start school. So she went there for a year. Our second child went there also. And the whole time I just assumed that they were doing great. They were learning to socialize with other kids. They were coming home with beautiful art projects. And I thought, oh, they must be doing really well. Well, when our third child was born and we were looking at also possibly putting her in that same preschool, I decided at that point that I wanted to spend time from drop-off to pick-up there to find out exactly what they were doing. I don't know why it took me two years before I did that, but anyway, so made all the arrangements. I went in and here's what I observed. In a place that we specifically put the kids to, to socialize. Okay, so what happens is the kids get dropped off and immediately they are brought into the foyer area of the school and lined up. The kids are told to put their hands on each other's shoulders and follow the line on the floor marked by tape to go to the area where they have the cubbies. So in a straight line, mouth closed, told to be quiet, walk to the cubby room. They, in that room, again, no talking. They're told to be quiet repeatedly. They take off their backpacks, put into the cubby. They're again lined up, following a line on the floor, brought into their classroom, and they're told to sit. Where they sit is they would go to a stack of carpet squares they would each pick a carpet square, put it on the floor, and they're allowed to sit on the square. They're not to talk to anybody. They're not to touch anybody. They're told to be quiet. Then the teacher comes in, and I don't even remember what exactly they did, if they did the ABCs or if they told a story or something. But again, emphatically, they're told to be quiet, keep their hands to themselves. They're not interacting with each other at all. They do some kind of exercise. Then they have an art and craft time. The children were told to bring a book off the shelf so they can read quietly. Again, no interaction with each other, no talking, no anything. And one by one, they were called up to the art and craft table. And it was around Christmas, the teacher picks up the, the student in her lap, holds the student's thumb, pushes it into the ink pad and makes a perfect Christmas tree. Then she puts the child on the floor, tells him or her, to go sit on the square and they call the next person. So everybody had the perfect Christmas tree that they can then hand to their parents and say, look at what I did in our class. Every single one of them looked exactly the same except for the 
fingerprint that was on the picture because it was their own thumb. Then it was social time. So again, they're lined up, told to be quiet, walked in a straight line out to the playground, and then they had 10 minutes to quote unquote play. They were released from the lines. The kids separated. And I was watching them. I'm like, this is what I sent my kid to preschool to do, to socialize. And what did I observe? 75% of them went to the playground and sat alone for 10 minutes. A couple of them played with each other. You can tell that they probably knew each other from outside preschool. Then again, they were lined up, brought back to the room. Same thing, same drill until they were picked up by the parents. And I was stunned because I thought this is what they call socializing. Like we're paying this expensive tuition to train up our kids to walk in straight lines and be quiet. So when I came across this video that we're going to start talking about, it is exactly the opposite in a country where they are known for conformity and discipline, and yet they take such a different approach. And the reason I compare these two is because as parents, if we decide to try homeschooling, these are the choices that we're going to make that will impact our kids as people, not just their intellect, but emotional, social, everything. It's just a really important aspect of homeschooling that I think we can pay attention to and be aware of and the possibilities that are open to parents that are not experienced in either private or public schools here. Yeah. Can I say one quick thing. While you're saying that, the expression that comes to mind for Bitcoiners is don't trust and verify. You essentially verified. You said, I just want to see what's going on. You went and checked it out and you're like, whoa, I thought that we're sending our kids here to socialize and that is not at all what you're witnessing. It's more like conformity on steroids. So, I mean, that's an interesting thing I did not even think about when we, we saw this video. I do think we need to get to that video because we've now referenced it a couple of times and people are like, Who, what are we talking about? So, you want me to do it? Okay, fine. I, <laughs> so, so, this, so, Tali is really good. She's always, she always has a radar on looking around and saying, that's an interesting concept. And it could be anything. It could be an entrepreneur self-help book or something else. It's a health book. It's something and she'll take it and use it in homeschooling. Today's video is from a TEDx talk. It was done in 2014. We're going to have the show link in there. It's only nine minutes long, so you got to check it out. I, Takahara Tezuka. I'm probably not saying that correctly, but if you search for the best kindergarten you've ever seen, TED Talk, you'll see it come up. And the idea of this video, essentially, this is the architect. He gets up and he talks, and they show a lot of examples throughout. They essentially built looks like a giant courtyard where the building that surrounds it is a circle. So if you looked at it from a helicopter, it looked like a big O. And the top part of the actual roof of this is like a deck. And it's a really low deck. So if you're standing on the deck, you can see everything going on in the courtyard. And if you're in the courtyard, you can see all the all your friends running around on this big deck. And it's pretty wide. It must be at least 50 or 60 feet wide. And the whole idea of this is kids are just, they just let them go. Now, like my understanding from Tali is since she spent time in Japan that they probably do have times when they're required to sit. They're not showing that. They're not highlighting it. But it's amazing. He will go step by step what they were looking for when they designed it 
And an example is the principal asked the architect, the one speaking, to not have handrails and said, why can't we just put a little net out to extend from the roof to catch the kids when they fall? And he said, no, 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 we have to have handrails. So this is an, an example of the thought that was going on when they designed this. And there's no walls from the classrooms are all on the first floor. And most of the year they keep the inside walls open. So now there's no separation from indoors and outdoors either. Kids can get up and literally leave the classroom, go outside where there's trees and some playground equipment. They can go up and down to the roof. There's trees popping up through the deck and the walls are open most of the year. They have watering stations all over the place. Step by step, he goes through what was the thought process on why they designed it this way. And it basically has a lot to do with letting kids be kids. And we should go through some of the examples on there. But Tali, help me explain, because without seeing this, it's really hard to envision this kindergarten. Yeah, so I think I'll just start with what jumped out at me other than the roof, because obviously the roof is absolutely amazing that the kids are allowed to run and nobody's telling them to walk, don't run. I heard that so much when our kids were growing up everywhere that we went, whether it was at a church or, you know, at a shopping mall or at a park or anywhere where there was some kind of authority figure, the children are repeatedly told walk, don't run. Why? Children run naturally. If a child, like if nobody's telling a child how to behave and the child's going from point A to point B, most likely they're running, right? So anyway, so the, the, so the roof really jumps out at you right away. But the part that I loved was what the architect was talking about, which is we are so accustomed to thinking that school equals put children in a quiet room and basically sit them down at a desk. And in this school, they have no walls. It's just a giant open area. And I, I'm guessing the walls are on the outside of the school. So once they enter, they're enclosed. But once they get inside, there are no walls separating any of this huge area. And the kids are allowed to interact with nature. Also, there's no noise isolation. So there's nobody being told to be quiet because you don't have sound bouncing off of walls. And so the kids end up able to learn in their natural state, which is an active, very active state, whether they're running or climbing trees or interacting with each other or splashing water on each other or filling their rain boots with water instead of cleaning the boots from the outside. I mean, children are being children. Mm. Yeah, that to me, there was, he emphasized that one of their principles designing this was not to control them. If someone was upset and would normally hide in a corner, the teacher would just let them walk. And they knew that because it's in a circle, they eventually come back. The idea that you're describing with no noise, he gave a great example. He said, in real life, you don't get to control that. If you're at work, if you're in a bar, you have noise around you. And by having this completely open, like acoustic, the way it was set up, there's no, if you can't, if any classroom could go out into the courtyard, that also means that if there was some activity in a different classroom, that noise would come through. And he commented specifically that not having any acoustic barriers between the classroom 
that it led to an ability for the kids to show amazing concentration levels while they were in the class. And he basically said that they need noise. And today we try to keep everything under control. And when you say, don't control them, these little things matter. Sit down, be quiet, no noise. And these are, these are kindergartners. I mean, I, I get it when you get to, when you get to elementary school and high school age, things are going to be, you, you know, your, your environment might change. But to me, like this, this, this idea of le like leveraging kids being kids, as opposed to trying to control them and get them to do exactly what you want your kid to do. That's not the way they're wired. That's not how they, they are naturally. Yeah, I don't think that kids should be treated like tiny-sized adults. Kids at their different developmental stages have certain energy levels. So, for example, in our children's case, in the preschool that we put them in, how much energy do you think they're expending trying to control themselves to sit still? And if at the same time you're requiring them to expend energy to learn new concepts, you're really asking a lot of these kids. Now, I'm not saying that children should have no discipline because anybody who knows Japanese culture, discipline is a big, big thing. Yes, they're showing in this video the kids running around, but rest assured, they are teaching discipline somewhere in there. Mm. But they are not doing it against the nature of the kids. Physically, mm. when they're that age, being active is absolutely normal. You know, and if we start labeling them with ADHD or whatever because they can't, quote unquote, sit still, that's exceptionally unfair. Can you give a couple examples? Because, I mean, you didn't see this video before you were developing our homeschool curriculum or environment. Our environment, I guess, is the right way of saying that. And how you let our kids be kids. Yeah, I think for me, it was personal because... When I was growing up with my siblings, I have a younger brother and an older sister, and my younger brother was very, very active. And I just remember all the time he was being reprimanded for how active he was, like it was a negative thing. And yet at the same time, I was watching how it was a very positive thing because he was able to exert leadership with kids in our neighborhood and Wherever he went, he was always the guy who came up with the ideas and was directing a group of kids to do stuff. He was a natural born leader. And I think a lot of that comes from his energy level and his ability to, to think quickly. But if you're forcing someone like that to sit still at a table, holding a pen, tracing lines on paper, when their natural state is to be energetic, I saw the consequence of that, you know, to, to feel defeated, to feel like a failure when he was asked to do those things. So when, when our kids were younger, I just always remember that part about what I observed growing up watching my brother. Because for me and my sister being girls, we didn't have any trouble sitting still. It was our natural state. We liked being quiet and we liked sitting still. But when we had our kids, we had a girl and then a boy. I wanted emphatically to make sure that our kids, no matter what their personalities were, were not mislabeled that way. Yeah. No, I mean, there's, I mean, I think examples help color this a little bit. So the, the, the next thing that was on the list that I thought was a great call out 
is not trying to protect them too much. And this is different than control. And he, he comments specifically that if kids, like, for example, they had around the trees that were coming up through the decks, they had netting there and the kids, if they fell, could fall in the netting. They, they basically turned it into like a playground and they let the kids run when they were outside on the deck. So to me, he basically said, let them get some injury. And they intentionally designed like this separate little building in the center of the courtyard where they had a lot of different floors that were very, very close together. So it almost looked like a, a jungle gym to me, but it was, it was much nicer than that. And he said, it's okay for them to take some risk and to have some injury. And I do think we're, we're so overprotective now as a society. If you, you know, you're going to go outside, well, you better have your helmet on, elbow pads and everything else. And kids, they need to take some risk and get some, some injury. And the, the, this also had some great social examples where while the kids were trying to figure out how to get up and down, whether or not they should jump, that the other kids would help them. Maybe they would push them up or help pull them up or whatever it is. But I think we should explore a little bit this concept of not overprotecting our kids. And it's a delicate b- balance. You don't want your kids to be in unnecessary danger. On the other hand, I think it is possible that we've gone too far on the spectrum to overprotect our kids. And what does that teach them in terms of critical thinking, in terms of confidence, in terms of other things later in life? I do think there's some consequence with it. And that's one of the things that struck me is, yeah, don't overprotect them. What are your thoughts? I agree with that. Just remembering again from my own experience, growing up in a developing country where most parents were focused on just survival and children were given responsibilities really early, that the result is kids learn very early on that they are capable people. For example, when I was in elementary school, I remember one kid in my class who had epilepsy. This was a class of 50 kids. And everybody knew that if she ever went into a spasm, the kids sitting around her would get on the floor with her, open up her mouth and put a roller between her teeth so she didn't bite her tongue. We were in early elementary. It wasn't like older elementary. It was early elementary. And all the kids knew whoever was near her, their job was to go and put something between her teeth so she didn't bite down on her tongue. Nobody said, go call the teacher. You know, today, I feel like we are so quick to take power away from our kids to make them feel like they can't help each other because if you have trouble, go to the authorities. But when I was growing up, all the kids were tasked with that very important life-saving response. It wasn't, if you see her fall down, you go get the teacher. It was, if you see her fall down, you go put a ruler in her mouth and protect her. So when we're homeschooling, that's one of the things that we get to expose the kids to, to show them that they are capable people. Instead of protecting them so much that you make them feel like they are so fragile, you know, and they are so much more capable than we, we give them credit for today. Yeah, I, I, man, there's a lot to this. I think it's huge for building confidence. I'm actually having a little flashback. When I was at West Point, they had indoor and outdoor 
obstacle courses. So for those that have not had the benefit of being in the military, you're, you're put together maybe with a small squad of nine or 10, 20 year olds, you're wearing fatigues. It's probably hot in the summer. And I personally hate the combination of ledges and heights, and you would be responsible as a team to get over some obstacle. And you had people of all different, all different makes and sizes. Like you just, it wasn't like you just had, you know, all these Jackie Chan gymnasts that just could run up and do it. You might have a football player. You might have a petite woman. You might have like whoever in your squad. And you, you do a couple things with this. One, it builds confidence. Are you at risk of getting hurt? Yes, you could fall. And if you did, it, you're pretty good chance that you could get a, a really bad bruise or a, even break a bone or something. But I, I don't recall anybody actually breaking a bone on it. Maybe I just don't remember it correctly. But it's huge for team building. It's huge for leadership qualities. It's huge for confidence. And you don't need to have huge levels of that little bit of risk or danger that small dose of danger that he mentions in the video for them to learn to work together, to build confidence, to grow. And I think that's pretty huge. I look back at things that people thought we were crazy, but Tali, when you asked me to build monkey bars in the house, because you had read a book on brachiation, I, I thought, <laughs> what the heck am I doing? But it was great. The kids in between whatever you had them doing, they could be, you know, literally swinging from, from bars or putting a jump house in and letting a, an inflatable jump house, putting that up in the living room or a fort in the basement. You don't, you may not have the, the ability to go to some place like this high-end kindergarten that probably has a long waiting line to get in that's, you know, ergonomically designed for development. When you are thinking about what to do for your kids, you can get creative. And if you can't do it in your house, maybe you have a, a small house or you're renting and you can't do that kind of thing. Well, you can, you can seek out activities with other groups and get them exposed to that. Everything from ice skating to, I don't even know what else. I mean, you could do almost anything, but I just think it's really insightful that at an early age, at this kindergarten level, you can really apply those to a education curriculum for elementary, even high school levels. And if you look at the military, look, I mean, there's, they're using those same principles even for young leaders in the military. So to me, huge opportunity. You take self-custody of your education. You get to try out these things, see what you can do. If you can't do it literally in your own house, you, maybe you go down to a playground or a park and you let kids climb the trees and take a little risk. Anyway, so I think there's a huge, huge learn, learning there for kids in this, in this formative age to learn about leadership, taking risks, confidence. And you talk about socialization. Wow, that is a, much more social than sitting on your little square of, of carpet and following a line. Yeah, and I want to go back to letting the kids naturally help each other. I don't know if most people have read that book, Lore of the Flies, where the kids were alone and the social structure got horrible and violent. I think we, as parents, we always need to be very mindful of our assumptions. And if we assume that kids with our rules will eat each other, then yeah, we're going to be really careful. And we're going to, we're going to 
overprotect. But if our assumption is most people are good and kids are usually, you know, born filled with love and bravery and courage and the desire to be helpful. And if you spend time with kid, little kids at all, you learn very quickly that they want their effort to count and they want to be helpful. And so if we assume that they cannot be, then we take the opportunity away from them. And let's say they're trying to help us, I don't know, bring in groceries, right? And we go, no, 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 that's going to take too long and you might drop it. Here is a tablet. Go play some video games while I do the work. What did you just tell your child? You're not capable of helping me. But if you, if you go with their desire to be helpful, and yes, they drop a few apples, or you know, they they bruise your hairs or something, that's okay because that's a very small price to pay for them feeling capable and helping you, and that kind of thing grows. And on the opposite side, if you constantly give them something to occupy. Themselves because it'll be faster and easier for you to do something. Then that sense of oh, I can't help. I am only going to mess things up. That will also grow. So just be mindful of your assumptions when your kids are little. It's very nuanced. It's a day by day, moment by moment kind of awareness. So we're not saying you have to be perfect, but it's just something to keep in mind. All right, we just keep on going through these examples, and again, I know it's uh, for those that are listening that haven't seen the video yet. When you see it, and you see the examples of what these kids are doing, and how intentional the environment is designed to help them develop, I guarantee you will be inspired for your own kids on what you can do for them. The next thing on my list that I wanted to get into was a just a note on physical health, and again, as most people know, I was in the military for a short period of time. I remember I had an exchange program and I got to spend a week in the Netherlands and those cadets got to spend a week here. And another cadet and I asked them what they thought and they looked around, they basically said, we think Americans look fat. And you, you just look at what's going on with recruitment these days in the military. And there's, I mean, there's, there's some things in our society where we are really not taking care of ourselves. And so tying this back to what are you teaching your kids? This was what I mean by going way beyond the curriculum with what are you going to use for math or what are you going to do for reading or, or whatever it is. When you are designing the environment for your kids to learn and you can teach them the importance of physical health at an early age, this is tremendous. And this, this also gets into the low time preference type of thing too. If you're thinking about your health for the long term, Think about the, the, the proven links between someone who is physically fit and their ability from an intellectual standpoint, from an em emotional standpoint, their health in other aspects of their life. And I don't think anybody denies that there's links there between physical health and the mind and the body. So teaching kids early to be active and not just to sit there is actually a good thing. In the video, the architect says that the circumference of the building is, I, I think it was 180 meters. It was something close to 200 meters. And then he, he put up a, an example of they had followed a boy around just in the morning to kind of see he went from one place to another and they mapped it out to see how far he had gone. And just in the morning, he had gone 6,000 meters. So in terms of those that may 
track how far they've walked in the day, that's almost four miles. That's like 3.7 miles that this little kindergarten boy that they had followed and the architect's call out was that kids are active. And the way he said it was they have some of the highest athletic abilities amongst other kindergartners. He said on average, the including literally all students, they move an average of 4,000 meters a day. So again, these are kindergartners that are moving 2.5 miles on average every day. I think that sets them up for a lot of success. I think being physically active is healthy, not just physically, but also in terms of being able to concentrate, in terms of brain development, in terms of emotional health. And this is something that I, I personally believe has to be part of a homeschooling curriculum. This video really shows that you can start this at an early age. So I guess what I'm saying is that the physical activity that was encouraged with this, not just the social and the learning and all those other things, but the physical uh, side of this is a huge takeaway. Well, I disagree a little bit with what you said about we need to train them up to be physically active. I think kids are naturally physically active. We don't need to encourage them or train them up. I think we need to not discourage them from physically active. I mean, if we go to the playground, you know, at a local park, what do you see kids doing? They run around. But you also see parents there saying, don't run, walk, don't run, walk. So when you say stuff like that to a child who is actively running around, they learn to become inactive. They learn that running is dangerous, right? So I think physical activity comes very naturally for children. We just need to allow them the freedom to express that and to maybe hopefully we do it with them instead of just standing around watching them because while we're watching them, they're also watching us. So if they're running around and, you know, the years go by and they're watching you just standing there being inactive, then eventually they're going to tend that way, you know. But when our kids were little, I made a point to take them to the park and on the trails. When they ran, I ran with them. I remember one time we went and our oldest was two and a half. I think Scott was pushing a stroller with our baby and our one-year-old. And our oldest just wanted to run. And I'm like, hey, Scott, go run with her. And you said, no, I'm going to push the stroller. So I ran with her and she ran nonstop for two miles. And let me just tell you, that was not fun for me. Okay. Because I was sore for many days after that, but I ran with her. And I hope that at least that day she learned that running was a family activity. <laughs> mm -hmm. Wow. I, I think, so I, how do we... So those are the things on my list they, they, that you could take away. This is a nine-minute video on how to design an environment to encourage this, the, the development with kids. And there's so many lessons that can actually apply to how you set up your environment and what you do to teach your kids. And I, I just think it's an amazing, it's an amazing application of looking at one idea one place and applying it somewhere else. But we've covered the things that I've wanted to take from the video. Is there anything else that we missed from, from your point of view? I want to emphasize again that we're talking about striking a balance between letting kids be kids and also instilling discipline because 
for those of you who go to that video and watch the nine minute video, they are not showing you the discipline side of a Japanese kindergarten, but I will guarantee you that it is there. So we're not saying let your children run wild if you're homeschooling, let them do whatever they want, hang from the trees and never sit still. That's not what we're saying at all. We're saying let them have the opportunity to do so and also teach them discipline. Right. And it's permissionless, right? Just because we did it a certain way, you don't need our permission to do it your way if you don't like what we're saying. This is These are just ideas that we're talking about. So I, I agree with the balance. That's a good call out. On that, I also think that if anybody's listening to this and you're, you have not yet started to, to do this and you don't have kids yet, don't overthink this. You don't start with the confidence first when you do this. This all comes back to committing to something that you know is right. Start with the commitment. You will have the courage, especially if you and your uh, significant other are in sync on this. That probably is a whole other episode, by the way. Probably should cover that separately. Have the courage to stick with it. Kids are super resilient. You have so many resources available. I would wrap this up with this physical activity and the environment is something that you should add to your curriculum in whatever way you would like to do it. Start with the commitment to do it. Once you've done it and you've seen that and you've gone through it, then your confidence on being able to do more will grow. And kids have such amazing potential. If we could just figure out how to let them be kids and let them grow naturally. Yeah, I just want to end by saying kids are far more capable than we realize, and they just need the opportunity to show it within safe boundaries, of course. All right, we'll wrap it up. We'll see you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast and if you found this valuable, please leave a review to help others find us too. For those who prefer zapping sats, we love those too. We're on Fountain, we're on Noster, and we're on Orange Pill app. Also, I host a women's only Bitcoin podcast called Orange Hatter. And the mission of that podcast is to reach pre-coiner women. So if you know of someone in your life that you would like to introduce Bitcoin to, check it out. So Tali and I also... Don't have sponsors for this show. We are trying to build and run free market kids. You can check out our products at freemarketkids.com. This includes the Bitcoin mining game Hoddle Up, which is a great introduction to Bitcoin. The school edition of Hoddle Up is always available. We also have the 2024 having edition. It's going to be super deluxe. Very excited to roll it out. It is available on pre-sale at a 21% discount. Until next time, happy hodling. If you enjoyed this podcast and if you found this valuable, please leave a review to help others find us too. For those who prefer zapping sats, we love those too. We're on Fountain, we're on Noster, and we're on Orange Pill app. Also, I host a women's only Bitcoin podcast called Orange Hatter. And the mission of that podcast is to reach pre-coiner women. So if you know of someone in your life that you would like to introduce Bitcoin to, check it out. So Tali and I also don't have sponsors for this show. We are trying to build and run free market kids. You can check out our products at freemarketkids.com. This includes the Bitcoin mining game Hoddle Up, which is a great introduction to Bitcoin. 
the school edition of Huddle Up is always available. We also have the 2024 having edition. It's going to be super deluxe. Very excited to roll it out. It is available on presale at a 21% discount. Until next time, happy hodling. <laughs>